This episode of the TCIA podcast is brought to you by the brand new TCI Magazine website, the digital supplement to the most widely read periodical in the tree care industry. No matter where you are in the world, you can have the top-notch content, timely industry updates, and cutting-edge advertisers you have come to expect from TCI Magazine for the past 30 years, all in the palm of your hand. The fully responsive TCI Magazine website breaks down years of content into neatly organized categories, specific to certain aspects of tree care businesses, making it easy to navigate and find articles on exactly what you're looking for. You can discuss articles in real time through the new commenting feature, as well as share articles with friends, family, and colleagues through vastly improved social sharing. We've also been listening to you, our readers, over the years, and to make the content more accessible than ever, we have included article translations for Spanish, French, German, Portuguese, and Tagalog. If English isn't your primary language, you can still enjoy the experience of reading TCI Magazine. So head over to tcimag.tcia.org to check out the brand new TCI Magazine website, the official website of the most widely read periodical in the tree care industry. That's tcimag.tcia.org. <laughs> I just got out of a tree. I literally, I literally just cut a tree down and ran out here. Well, we appreciate it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, thank you guys. <laughs> the tree care industry has stories and knowledge just waiting to be explored. We'll have a variety of expert guests and innovators from all corners of the industry sharing their stories and extensive knowledge on our show. On this episode of the TCIA podcast, we sit down with Tobias Weigand and discuss summer and storm preparation. Tobias is an ISA certified arborist, a TCIA certified tree care safety professional, a instructor for North American Training Solutions, and a member of Husqvarna's HT. How does a company begin to prepare for potential jobs coming in? So preparing for potential jobs coming in during the summer, the first thing that I would suggest would be uh, spring cleaning and gear inspection uh, throughout the year. You use a lot of things, could be anything from rakes and blowers to ropes uh, to other climbing gear, rigging gear. And a lot of that stuff may be retired over the year and some of it just gets thrown into a pile in, in, the, in a shop somewhere. And at the end of the year, you usually have all these long pieces of rope uh, that have been retired. And I've been in situations before where that was the piece of rope somebody handed me to use to go do a job. And, uh, and you're like, well, this thing's been retired forever. Why didn't we get rid of it? So any type of spring cleaning you can do, um, and gear inspection. So inspect all your stuff, throw out anything that is a no go. That's going to be retired. Like that way somebody doesn't pick it up to go use something and, uh, and they don't know what it's been used for, how many cycles it's been through and, uh, they end up having a catastrophic, uh, consequence and, you know, fix the broken stuff. You know, if you, if you've had a, a blower, for instance, that's been acting up and that blower ends up on a crew, that crew is just going to manhandle that blower to get it to work any way possible to get these jobs done. And it's going to be a long time before it comes back around to, uh, to get fixed. If it's fixable, you know, if not, it might just be, you know, this blower needs to be retired and buy a new one. Whose job is that to figure out uh, what equipments should be retired and what equipment that should still be running? That is a great question. It's everyone's job. Okay. So if I'm working on a crew, even as a contractor, if I go and do a job, and I uh, run into some equipment that is not working properly, I am the forefront 
of protection and safety for myself. And if I'm not protecting myself and being safe myself, then I'm going to inherently put other people at risk. So if I'm privy to something that needs to be changed, whether it's a policy or a piece of equipment or something that needs to be repaired or modified, um, it's, it's my due diligence to, to bring that up and to act on that. And, uh, and it's, it's everyone's even, even the newest guy, you know? So, um, I would, I would argue that if you're new, you're the best one to speak up because you're either going to not understand something or you're going to spot something that someone else may not spot, or you may bring to light something that's a complacency issue. Like they might have a piece of equipment that they've been using that, you know, you can look at it. You just went through some training or you, you know, went took a class at TCIA and now you have this information and you're like, this piece of equipment is a no go. So it, they've been using it. And, uh, and because of that, you know, um, recently, I guess a couple of years ago in, uh, Gastonia, North Carolina, they had a kid, uh, 19 years old. I think it was his first day on the job. First two hours on the job went through a chipper. Right. Because they had kind of worked their way around some safety features on a chipper and, uh, and had that kid had some proper training and uh, knew how to use a chipper properly. They just didn't throw him out there. He might have identified that and said, I'm not going to use this piece of equipment or this piece of equipment needs to be fixed or something. But it could have it could have saved his life, you know. Yeah, Tobias, do you have some examples of some of the resources that you found have been the most helpful in, you know, that education, that training, even just equipment so that people can kind of take a peek and say, you know, here are best practices or here's what I should be looking for or not looking for? Anyone, anytime someone asks me about advice on where they should start if they're new in the industry, the first thing I tell them to do is just read the ANSI standards. It's it's a, like a no-brainer for me. Just read those standards. A lot of people don't realize that the ANSI standards are written for us by us. So the people on the board are actual tree workers, company owners that are looking out for our best interests. There's usually a catastrophic injury or death that is the reason that a guideline is put into place. And it's not a lot to read. It's, re- it's really not that much. And it gives you a really clear understanding of a safe way to do your job. I look at it as almost one of those choose-your-own-adventure books. So I'm confronted with a problem. I can go to the standards, and it, the standards will say, if this, then that, you know? And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, here's a roadmap to some solutions that I can use to figure this problem out. And sometimes the solution is to not do the job, right? And that is, like I said, you're the forefront of your own safety. You know, there's huge conversations in this industry about how dangerous the industry is. And some people take actually take pride in that to say like, oh, we have all these fatality rates. We're like first or second, you know, we're, we're so dangerous. And I don't really think the industry is a dangerous industry. I think it's very hazardous, but every step I take on the job site is a choice that I make. And I have a choice not to take that step. So that kind of takes the danger out of the situation. Danger to me is running into a burning building when you don't know what's on fire, you know, or um, going into a situation that you don't know what the hazards are. We know what the hazards are. It's our job. You know, if you read the standards, you, you walk around and you find all the hazards, you know, and you identify all the hazards and you come up with a way that you mitigate these hazards. 
It doesn't take long. It takes like 15 minutes to do it. You do it naturally on a, on a job site anyway. Like when you walk onto a person's property to even, even look at a job, you're usually there for some sort of hazard mitigation anyway, you know? So it's either hazard mitigation or aesthetics. And majority of what tree work that I found is hazard mitigation. So yeah, so ANSI standards. And then after that is the, uh, the A300, uh, like the pruning standards and the cabling standards, all that stuff. Those are all great resources. And then after that, I would say get involved in the industry as much as possible. Tree climbing competitions are a great way to go meet people and see new things that are being done, get new information. I would say, I want to say become enlightened, but it's more of like stay enlightened into uh, best practices and how you can go home at the end of the day and potentially not go home exhausted at the end of the day. Like I have four kids. I want to go home and play with them. If somebody can show me an easier way to access a tree or give me some new skills that I can, uh, I can fell a tree instead of having to climb a tree, that's less fatigue on my mind and body. And then after that, there are countless training opportunities. So the Vermeer dealerships, they offer training. It's not usually hands-on, but, uh, but it's definitely informative. Um, you can look into organizations like North America Training Solutions, Arbor Master, and there's many others that you can, you can look into. And these are people that have experience. They have a passion for teaching, and they want to share this stuff with you so you are safe and you know how to mitigate the hazards. You know, tree work is, it's way too fun to risk getting hurt. And the whole idea is to, is to have fun, you know, and make money. It's probably make money, then have fun. But I look at it as have fun and then make money because that's really how it goes down in my world. Yeah, I love those. I think that that was even way more than what I expected. So thank you for all of those anecdotes. And I think we should officially petition ANSI to change their tagline to choose your own adventure. I feel like it might help out with some readership if people realize it's a little bit more interesting than how it appears. One thing I want to mention, okay, so we have ANSI and we have OSHA, right? OSHA is the law, right? ANSI is our guidelines. When you think of people like not knowing how to do your job and then telling you to do your job, that is not who's on the ANSI board. Those are people that know how to do tree work that do tree work. OSHA makes their laws based on the ANSI standards. When we get hurt and killed enough, then they show up and they say, hey, you have a guideline for this. We're going to make it into a law. And if you break this law, then we're going to fine you. OSHA, when they come out of your job site, it is the person that is telling you how to do your job that doesn't know how to do your job. Okay, And they are there as just a sole line of protection from, uh, from basically from your employer, you know, to hold your employer accountable. So... If you don't want someone telling you how to do your job that doesn't know how to do your job, then we have to stop injuring and killing ourselves and get off of OSHA's radar. And then we won't have them telling us what to do. If we follow the guidelines that our industry is making for ourselves, that can help us get off of OSHA's radar. And then that reduces fines. It reduces fatalities. It reduces injuries. It makes work fun. So it's just a lot of good things end up coming out of it. But OSHA is law and they don't know how to do our job. ANSI are guidelines, but they do know how to do our job. If we get killed and injured enough, then those guidelines become law. And then you just have somebody showing up that doesn't know how to do tree work. And then they're just handing out fines. Circling back. So where are you located right now? What part of the country are you in? 
So right now I am in the mountains in North Carolina, in uh, just outside of uh, Asheville, and uh, I think I'm in Valdez, North Carolina, near Morganton. And uh, and I'm I'm working. I got contracted today, so I'm working on a job. And I just made a big mess. I can hear them chipping it up. Um, but I, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, is where I, I my, that's where my home is. So you're on the East Coast, and we also have a ton of arborists on the West Coast. What's kind of the difference in preparation for each coast? Okay, so where we are, we pretty much work year-round. We don't really have to switch our saws between um, winter and summer. We don't have to switch out equipment oil between winter and summer weight. Um, You know, we we deal with a lot of rain and ice. That's what we get down here. It rains, and then it freezes, and then it thaws out a little bit. Everybody goes out, and then when the sun goes down, it freezes, and everybody wrecks into each other. That's, like, what we like to do. So um, we deal with a lot of ice and to prepare. It's the same. It's the same thing. We just, when you know something is coming along. So if it's the winter time and we know uh, there's high likelihood for some kind of damage from ice or storms or whatever, um, it's the same thing. You just start gearing up You check all your gear, you make sure everything's operational. You make sure you got all everything in place. You know, you look at the availability of everything. You look at your workload, you know, you see what you have coming up and you begin to prioritize your workload. And then if the storm comes, if you know, hey, there's a tree that needs to come down, it's got a crack in it or whatever, and it's cabled together right now, and you're planning to take it down, and it's going to be within the next two days, but that night you get a storm, you might want to go give that client a call first thing in the morning or, uh, or go put eyes on it to make sure that that doesn't become a, a, number, a high priority. On the West Coast, I've been working out there on and off since 2016. They have such a diverse climate. It's, it's mind-blowing. So you will literally fly in to uh, you know Los Angeles, Sacramento, Fresno, any of those places, and drive an hour and a half up into the mountains, and now it's 30 degrees and snow on the ground. Those guys, if if they're traveling like that to go do, to go do work in the mountains, you know they're going to want to have snow chains in their car because at some point in time you go on the shaded side of the mountain and now you need chains to drive around. They're going to have to do uh, like carburetor adjustments, right? If they have uh, the the new computer-operated uh, carburetors are going to have to take those up there and tune them to the altitude, things like that. Down south in California, they have a seasonal uh, Santa Ana winds. So that's something to, to take into account. It's it's a pretty cool phenomenon. The, the winds kind of, the air kind of heats up on one side of the mountains and it raises up and then it gets cold and it rushes down the other side of the mountains and blows out into the ocean. But it's huge gusts. So again, if you have a workload, there's so many dead trees out there and there've been so many fires that uh, situations out there can quickly change. I've gone out there before and we've been working and all of a sudden there's smoke in the air and you have to leave and there's a fire. And then after that, your workload changes. So you went from possibly removing some dead pine trees to now removing burned dead pine trees. And you might get assigned to another area depending on the severity of the fire. And then on top of all of that, you're dealing with uh, potential like loss of life, loss of homes, fire burns everything up, uh, hurricanes and floods. You you have some things. So on the East Coast, we have hurricanes and flooding. It'll be catastrophic damage, but you can dig memorabilia out of that stuff. You know, you can find old pictures and stuff. If you have to leave your house and 30 minutes later, it's burned. It's really hard to, to, 
to have those uh, those memories. They get lost quickly. So you're dealing with a whole plethora of emotions and different situations. Also out there, if you're dealing with the burn trees and the pine trees in general, dead trees, you're going to want to clean your air filters and your chainsaws a lot more. Air filters and blowers, air filters and like every, every piece of equipment, you're going to want to change your air filters a lot. Not necessarily change them on the daily, but at least, you know, give them a good thorough cleaning. Like on the East Coast, I can look at my filter and I'm like, that's oh, not that bad. You know, maybe knock it a little bit. On the West Coast, if you have to shave the bark off of some trees, your filter is going to get stuffed full of uh, full of dust and debris and stuff. So uh, the maintenance is a little bit different out there as well. Um, yeah, changing filters is huge out there. So you said you had four kids, right? That's correct. What do your kids think of what you do? Like, how do they how do they see your job? Um, I don't know. They they dig it. One thing, one thing that they do say a lot is, so one's 10, one is seven, and then two of them are a year old. Well, I guess 16 months or whatever. Anyway, a year, right? So I got seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, 10-year-old daughter, seven-year-old son, and two twin boys. The, uh, the seven-year-old and the 10-year-old, they come home and um, they're upset that their friends don't know what an arborist is. They're like, they think like other kids would be like, you're just making that up or whatever. He doesn't climb trees for a living, but I think it's cool. You know, we got harnesses for them and hard hats for them. And, uh, and they like to climb trees, you know, uh, I, I'm the head judge, uh, this year, I guess for the next two years for uh, the Charlotte tree climbing competition. And my son, uh, loves the kids climb. So shout out to Jeb for that. He's awesome. He does it. So my son loves it. He went through it so many times. Uh, I think, last year or the year before that they told him, Hey, you're done. You're, you're like, you're done. Like they kicked him out. But then he went and did the, uh, the adult belay speed, uh, event. Yeah. He was, he dug it. And, um, so he, he was really into it. The one thing that I found that they really picked up on is, uh, the, the, the safety aspect of it, because even when I just go climb with them just for fun in the yard and the trees and stuff like that, um, I just from force of habit, uh, the vocabulary that I choose to use the same vocabulary that I choose on a job site. So they're really good with stand clear and they, and they check their systems, you know, and, uh, we'll, we'll drive by another tree company or whatever. And they're like, those guys aren't, they don't have hard hats on and they're not wearing chaps and stuff, you know, which is, uh, which is funny, you know, cause, uh, cause they know like seven year old knows and they're into it. They, uh, they think, yeah, they think it's cool. Uh, they know the safety features on chainsaws. Um, they like to ride in the trucks and, uh, they don't like, they don't really like the loud noises. So chippers and when you turn things on, they'll kind of like, they'll leave, even if they have hearing protection on, they just, they're like, they don't like that part of it, but, uh, but they like swinging and playing and things like that. Can you tell us more about how you became the judge for the climbing competition? Okay. This is how it happened. All right. I was drinking one night. And I was on Facebook and there was some people talking about the uh, tree climbing competition. And they said, who's going to be the head judge this year? And I was like, and I just put a comment in there and I said, I'll do it. Thinking that they were going to say, no, Tobias, you're not going to be the head judge. We're going to get somebody else. Right. And they said, okay, that's done. Who's going to do this? And I thought, oh my God, that just happened. And uh, so then I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm the head judge. And I showed up. I really didn't know what I was doing, but like I said, the, the, the industry 
is it's an awesome industry, you know? And if you go to a tree climbing competition, you'll see how awesome it is because basically all these people volunteer to help and all these people come there to climb and have fun. And I just asked everyone for their input on, on how to do this and what we should do and just kind of ask for help. And then it all, it all came together and it was awesome. You know, um, you know, my, my job as head judge is just, it's basically, I just make the final call on stuff and I have everyone there to ask. It's really democratic. You know, it's just a big vote really. And, uh, to see how everybody feels about it. You know, there's, and sometimes you got to make a certain call because somebody might point out create an unfair advantage or create a disadvantage for someone else and things like that. So there'll be little, but there'll be some tough ones. But, um, but yeah, I, I ended up being head judge from, uh, making comments on Facebook after a couple beers. And uh, that's how that happened. Join us next time as we talk with Tobias about finding the right place to work and the right person to work for, as well as using technology in the field. The TCIA podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast from. To learn more about the podcast or to listen to previous episodes, visit us at podcast.tcia.org.